This is Lydia Kincaid, your host for our real estate investing podcast um, with Cohen Esri Apartment Investors. We have our president and CEO, Lee Harris, and our chief operating officer, Ryan Huffman, with us today. And today we will be talking about the different risk profiles of investing in different types of multifamily asset classes. There's class A, class B, class C, and affordable. So we're going to walk through just the different, again, risk profiles of investing in those different classes. Um, Ryan, can you share maybe just a high-level view of ABC, affordable, and then we'll go into the details of each. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to. So the asset classes, and in, in, you know, interestingly, asset classes can be determined a number of ways. Here at, here at Cohen Esri, we determine the asset classes by an age. A lot of groups can do that by location. They can do it by certainly age. They can do it by rent levels. There's many different ways of classification. So deciding how you want to classify that is probably the easiest. Civil explanation, class A, those are your brand new properties. Normally new construction, the best amenities in the best locations, best school districts. They're, they're the hot to trot brand new communities. Um, we define that probably as 2000, call it 2012, 13 and up. So assets that are, you know, 10 years ish old or so up to new construction. Um, whereas class B is going to be your next tranche. That's going to be us kind of early to mid 2000s to the 1980s. They're going to be good stock, good bones, decent locations, probably an infill in most markets where, you know, you're not in the high growth area, you're in the already established areas. Um, and then you're going to get to class C, which class C is going to be your properties that are for us kind of eighties and, and lower in age. Um, those are going to be your assets that are old stock. Um, maybe they've been renovated slightly several years ago. Maybe they haven't, maybe they're still original. Um, they need capital in them and probably in, in slightly less desirable locations, um, than, than what your other two classes are. Affordable is, as it says, there's going to be an affordability component to it, whether that's through a state or federal program, self-imposed restrictions, you know, 60% AMI, but there's some kind of affordable component that's built thin into that, to that area. So Lee, maybe you can talk us through starting with class A. Um, there are, of course, like potential upsides to investing in that asset class, but there's a lot of risk associated with Class A as well. Can you share some of those um, descriptions with us? In the past, uh, we've been through many cycles since our company was founded in 1970. Uh, I came along in 1975, so I've seen a lot of these cycles. And traditionally what has happened when things go bad in the economy, and we're kind of in one of those periods where we don't know if we're in a recession or headed into a recession. Uh, you know, jobs are still strong, and uh, the employment situation is still strong, though the Fed thinks it wants to uh, tamp down demand for employment. Uh, but uh, usually when the economy gets a little bit on the the rocky side, now, we see Class A renters uh, pulling their horns a bit, and they, they're looking for a, a cheaper alternative. And so they will oftentimes move some of them, uh, sometimes many of them, will move into Class B, which 
It used to be there was a rent differential of, say, 75 to to $100, maybe 100 a quarter. Uh, now we're seeing that rent differential as much as four and $500. So <clears throat> you had this migration from Class A to Class B. You saw the Class A rents uh, eventually uh, being decreased for competitive reasons. Um, and then what would happen is you'd have a little bit of a reverse effect. You'd see the the Class B renters moving back up into Class A after the rents have been reduced. So if, if, if you had a Class A product that was charging $2,000 a month and they had to bust the rents to $1,750, uh, you might have some Class B renters say, well, I'm going to take advantage of that. Uh, but initially you saw a dip in Class A occupancy and a bump up in Class B occupancy, then you start to see some Class B renters moving up into Class A, and you'd see some Class C renters moving into Class B when the Class B rents came down. So it, it was a bit of a vicious cycle, if you will. However, uh, in this current iteration of, uh, of the cycle, we have seen uh, rents as I said before, this differential between Class A and Class B is huge, $400, $500 a month, maybe more in some cases. If the rents are reduced in Class A, uh, will they be reduced enough to get the attention of a Class B renter? And as Ryan can tell you, we think not. Uh, for the most part, we think that uh, uh, the Class B space is pretty safe. Um, and so the, the risk we think is more in the class A product. And that's one of the reasons that to uh, Cohen Esri, we focus our acquisition activity in the class B best to be, as we call it in a space and not the class A space. We don't think that we're going to see that much of a bump from class C renters to class B renters because our class B rents have been increasing and continue on a year-over-year -year basis, we've seen tremendous growth in Class B rents, and it may be unaffordable to a lot of the folks that live in, in the Class C space. Again, from an economic standpoint, if times are tough, you're, you're going to see some issues with Class C renter uh, profiles because there's an affordability aspect there. They may double up. They may move back home to mom and dad, but... And Class C also has the inherent risk of, of a functional obsolescence issue. Some of the apartments just are worn out. Even with a certain dollar amount, you can't always cure that functional obsolescence. So risk-wise, Class A has the risk of, uh, of tough markets where or of overbuilding. That's the other factor of risk here. We're not seeing overbuilding and haven't seen overbuilding in this cycle. We usually do. We're not here. But you, you could see some softening of Class A rents in tough times. You can see some exodus of, of Class B renters, Class C renters rather, uh, moving uh, back home or doubling up. Uh, Class B seems to be the least risky profile at this point in time uh, in this cycle.
I think Lydia, I would piggyback on that. And Lee and I can kind of touch on a, on a more macro subject to your question, which is this idea of risk reward. And so I start with, you know, basic investing fundamentals as, as many probably know your safest investment in the world, the U S treasury bill will produce a, a relatively low return because it's safe. Whereas on the other end of the scale, you've got crypto that is highly volatile, but has huge potential returns. So high risk, high return, low risk, low return. And that same model can be applied to the real estate classes. And, and it's very similar to what you would see in what I just described, right? Class A is seen as, despite its risk factors, the, the safer of the class investments. It is going to produce a lower return. It's the most expensive real estate. You know, you're looking at returns that are in the tens. It's going to be in kind of core, really good locations, really good school districts. So from a real estate perspective, it's it's considered a, a relatively safe investment. B is going to get higher returns because there's a little bit more risk to it. You may need a value add strategy. It's in kind of a stabilized core location area. Um, school districts are still generally pretty good. And then C, you would assume, as you would assume, is going to be your high risk, high reward, just like Lee described. May not be heavily amenitized, may need a deep rehab um, to, to get the property up to speed. And, and all of that comes with, with high risk, especially in the current economic environment. <clears throat> I think it's also interesting to note, we've touched on this before, but uh, we talk about the macro aspect of, of uh, the U.S. economy. And we're in a bit of an inflationary uh, period right now, and we have published some statistics dating back to 1978, where uh, in during inflationary times, when inflation has been 4% or higher, we have consistently seen exceptionally uh, exceptional returns compared to uh, inflation rates for apartments, with the exception of 1991. Uh, in 2021, inflation was 4.7%, and yet apartment returns uh, generally were 19.9%, which is just, I mean, there's, there's just no comparison there. And in 1979, uh, inflation was 11.3%, and apartment returns were over 28% that year. So it's interesting to see in these kind of inflationary times how apartment returns actually outpaced, substantially outpaced uh, inflation. Now, why is that? Well, and in, uh, in the real estate class, asset class, apartments are the easiest uh, to adjust in terms of the pricing. So typically we're writing one-year leases. There may be some month-to-month leases. Uh, inflation kicks in. We're able to adjust the rents much more quickly than we can in an office building where there might be a three-year, four-year, five-year lease, likewise with industrial, likewise with shopping centers. So there's this, this, this inflation element that uh, has to be considered when, when we're talking the macroeconomic uh, aspects here. Uh, so, and, and again, that's generally the that return is for class A product. Uh, it's measured by the National Council for Real Estate Investment Fiduciaries. Uh, they don't measure class B, they measure class A. Now, where uh, 
an investor may win in the class A space is the development game. So if you are developing a class A uh, apartment, uh, oftentimes you'll see, yeah, you should be projecting returns at least 25% or higher on an annualized IRR basis. Um, and <clears throat> you'll probably sell that prop property uh, to uh, or syndicate it uh, right after, as soon as it's stabilized. Uh, that's where you make the money in class A, I believe. Uh, you can you can see some strong returns during inflationary periods, but uh, on Class A. But otherwise, it's fairly it's good, but it's somewhat mundane compared to what we're seeing in the Class B space. So we talked about like that potential migration between the different classes um, within multifamily. Brian, do you have a feel for how 2022 ended up in terms of the rent spread? between class A, class B, B and C, and then what we look for when we're looking at like replacement costs and our underwriting process and how we think about that from a risk mitigation standpoint. Um, I don't have exact numbers, but I know that the rent spread has maintained. There hasn't been a, a what I'm going to call a shrinkage of those spreads. So generally class A rents today nationally are four to $500 above the class B rent. And the class B to C, I think we is about what, $200 right now, roughly speaking. Um, and, and those numbers have maintained. There hasn't been, you know, a sizable gap greater and there hasn't been a contraction in those numbers. I think, you know, to Lee's point, one of the things we've talked about on these podcasts prior, the 400 to $500 gap is the largest Lee you've ever seen in the entire yeah, entirety of your career. And if you look at it from strictly a, a percentage basis, you're talking 20, 25, 30% or more uh, increase from a B to an A quality asset. In a downturn, you may see those rents come down 10%, but if you're seeing 20, 30% decreases where the A rents are now coming down to match B, we pretty much said everybody in that A space is getting killed. I mean, if you just look at it from straight numbers. So will there be a contraction in a in a contractionary period of the economy? Likely, yes, depending on what unemployment does. And that's, you know, a whole interesting conversation to have where unemployment has really maintained through this whole um, Fed movement process. So you still have people employed, you still have wage growth, it may be slowing right now, but you will see some contraction, but it can't come down basic fundamentals where it used to. See, it used to come down where you were what, Lee, fifty to a hundred dollars between A and B spread. Today, it, that's not economically possible for those A properties to do, or you're going to end up back in in a situation with mass foreclosure. So, I think you know you're pretty solid in that B space right now, um, where there's there's less risk. And and it's you look, you got to look at it market by market and sub market by sub market market. We're talking generalized national averages. What we look for specifically in CEAI on that rent spread is we want to be a minimum 25% below those A rents, those average A rents in the submarket post-renovation. So once we've renovated, we've done the value add, we've repositioned the rent roll, then we still want to see that 25% gap because that gives us comfort that we're fairly well insulated from overall economic downturn. So... Um, and then those numbers still hold true. We haven't needed to expand them. We haven't needed to adjust them because the rent differential hasn't shifted. Hmm. You know, the other thing is the, uh, the demographic situation is so different today than it's ever been before in my career. 
it used to be that the single family market was the biggest competitor for uh, for a renter. Uh, they they would want to pursue the American dream and buy their own home, and so we always saw people moving out, especially in the warmer months, and uh, and the homes. When the home purchases are, as we've discussed before, uh, it's a whole different ballgame now with, with single-family homes because the, the costs have gone up so much uh, and people have credit issues, they haven't been able to save for down payments, and we've talked before about the rent, renters by choice. That a lot of people, especially in the Generation Z, uh, the Zoomers, uh, the Gen Y folks, uh, they like to live in apartments, and uh, a number of Baby boomers are retiring and moving to apartments, and that trend has continued. Now, household formation is ebbing a bit. Uh, household formation has been off the charts for the last few years. Uh, I think what's going to happen, this is my prognostication, I think that uh, it's going to be murky here for 2023 and maybe into 2024 for a little while. We may see a little blip here where rent growth uh, slows down. Uh, there's been all sorts of hand-wringing in the, in the industry press about rents declining. And as, as we've said before, we aren't seeing rent decline. We've, we're seeing uh, rent growth slowing, but we're still able to push rents up. Uh, the, the, the press talks about primarily the big cities and on the coasts, and, and that's a whole different situation in terms of what's happening with, with rents. Maybe rents are going down in Los Angeles and San Francisco and New York. Uh, but generally speaking, the demographics continue to support uh, apartments. Uh, if, if anything, it'll, it'll, it may impact new construction. Uh, and new construction has not been keeping pace with the demand uh, from uh, the the different uh, generational cohorts that are looking for apartments. So with higher interest rates, uh, building costs, uh, maybe a bit of a recessionary uh, trend here, I think it's going to be tough for us to see a continued rapid expansion of supply, which I think bodes well from an investment standpoint for especially us in the, the Class B space. Uh, and it may give... Uh, a little bit of a pause for, for Class A rentals, but uh, that should have no impact on us. And I think, Lee, we should point out, too, you, you brought up some good points about maybe where we're seeing rent contraction. There are so many other things going on in those markets you mentioned that that don't involve the inflationary factor. And, and a couple of those things are, if you really look at the average rents in, I think it's Manhattan, it's about $5,000 a month. I mean, big amounts of rent that, that it's required to live there. Add to that, you have a lot of, of population flight from those areas for a variety of reasons that we don't even need to get into the political aspiration of, but it it really doesn't, inflationary factors are but one and unemployment is but one factor in those areas and there's other much bigger factors that are that are revolving around that, which is why you're not seeing it in, in maybe other markets that are more insulated from what the data points that we're seeing. Yeah, literally let's... Let's talk a little bit about the the affordable space, and and uh, and particularly, let's talk about workforce. So, uh, from an affordable housing standpoint, 
A lot of affordable housing is delivered through the Affordable Housing Tax Credit Program, a federal program, and sometimes there's state affordable housing credits that are also available. That's generally not available to the investing public. Uh, those are corporate investors that look for the tax benefit from, uh, from the affordable tax credits. However, there are other workforce housing programs that are uh, in need of investor capital. And uh, one of the things that Ryan can tell you, I think, is that if, if you want to buy an existing property uh, in, in the affordable space, uh, the cap rates, capitalization rates have, have really compressed over the years to the point that it's, uh, it's, it's very difficult to buy an existing affordable uh, project. However, there is this, uh, an opportunity now and then to pick up something that's, uh, that has an extended land use restriction agreement that's in the tax credit program, uh, and, and you can acquire that as a developer typically uh, and, and run it back through the tax credit program. Uh, but in terms of, uh, of, of an investor return, uh, it's, it's really difficult to find a, a pathway to uh, make sense in, in, the, in the workforce space. And that is a, a, a problem we have from a, a general housing policy standpoint. There's just not a, a lot of incentive for individual investors to, to get involved in the affordable housing per se. So basically what you're saying, Lee, is yeah, from an investor's point of view, um, it's really quite separate from class A, class B, class C for like an individual investor to get involved with something like that. Um, different risk profile, different level, really, altogether. That's exactly right. I think that the opportunity there is from a development standpoint, which is something else we do. Uh, we have a, a major development operation and uh, th there can be cash flow, but again, we're typically talking about institutional investors that are putting the money in these kind of deals, and you're in it for the long haul. Uh, our country needs about 7 million units of affordable workforce housing, and uh, we'll never achieve that in my lifetime, certainly. Maybe Ryan's and yours, uh, you'll come closer, but certainly not mine. Um, and so there's real development opportunity there. It's very complicated. Our deals, we might have seven, eight, nine layers of, of funding to make a deal work with higher interest rates and higher building costs and the NIMBY stuff that we deal with. So it's not an investor, an individual investor focus here. It's a development focus. And if you're listening to this and you're a developer, then you probably know what we're talking about. I would, and I would add, Lydia, I think, you know, we hit the nail on the head to what I'm going to call the average investor. You also have this other interesting group in there that I call the mission-driven buyer. Um, and, and those can be nonprofits, they can be family offices, but they're, they are really driving that mission of workforce housing. It, it, translate that out to the returns are lower because they're, they're fulfilling a mission that they have, whether it's buying existing affordable or, or trying to keep stock in the workforce environment. If you're an investor that really is interested in pushing value, um, getting maximum returns, there's a lot of competition in that workforce space that I told Lee, you know, before this call, 
when we're looking at property to buy, you're not seeing different fundamentals on affordable than you are seeing on class B market. You're seeing very similar cap rates, very similar return profiles um, to what you're seeing there. So it's it's interesting in that those investments are seen as potentially not as good, but you're seeing the fundamentals be equal. And that's, that's really what's driving some of that competition. Hmm, good point, Ryan. Well, Lee, Ryan, thank you both. As always, thanks everyone for listening to our Apartment Investing Podcast.